Amen. You may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. If you do not have a Bible and you want one, raise up your hand and uh, Rob will get one to you. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have one of the Bibles that we passed out, that is on page 956, where we're going to be. 956. And so uh, I am I'm glad that you're here. I am really, really excited about today. I'm excited to be here with you. And uh, this has been an awesome weekend. Raise your hand if you've enjoyed the weather. Those of you that did it, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, the weather is incredible outside, man. It has been a beautiful weekend. So yesterday, we enjoyed the weather. We had two basketball games and a soccer game. And I will give you an update. Uh, I coached my daughter's third and fourth grade basketball team, and we got yet another W. Another one in the win column, and this time we only beat them by 30. And um, I don't want to take credit for it, but it probably was the coaching. All right. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun to do that, but I am excited most of all to be here with you. Now, today is going to require some work on my part to get some of you excited about what I'm about to talk about. Today's sermon is the first in a four-week series called Unique, and we're going to celebrate the uniqueness of four different types of people, four different types of descriptors about people, and today I want to talk about singleness. Give it up for singleness. Yeah, not many people want to. Those of you that are here that are married... I need for you to think of this sermon as important for your life and for your heart as a sermon about marriage. And the reason is, is because in the church, we are family. And what is concerning or to be celebrated by anybody in the church ought to be concerning or celebrated by everybody else in the church. We rejoice when others rejoice. We mourn when others mourn. And so for some of you that are single, you may be rejoicing, so we rejoice with you. For some of you that are single, you may be mourning, and so we laugh at you. <laughs> Not really. We, we want you to know that this topic of singleness is so important. Now, who, who am I talking about here? Someone would be considered, in my mind, single if they are dating, not dating, engaged, living with somebody like they're married but not actually married. Anybody that's never made the commitment to another person in the presence of God, family, and friends until death do us part. That person is single. Now, this is an incredibly relevant topic to discuss, to look at the scriptures, to discover what God's word says about singleness, because according to people who study the economy and sociology and what's going on in our world, men like Edward Giardini, singles make up more than half of the American population. That has changed in the last 30 years significantly. There are more singles now than there are married people in our country. And it's been my observation that in the urban area of Houston, there are more singles than, you know, in group per capita than there are outside of the urban area. We're in an urban area where the majority of the people are singles. And the studies I've done is that the majority of the singles in this area are women. So the message that I'm about to give on singleness is incredibly relevant as we think about what does it look like 
for us to be a church in the city who's like a family, who cares about one another, who loves one another, who who's concerned about one another and willing to celebrate with each other. Well, that certainly includes understanding a bit about what the Bible says in regard to singleness. So I hope that you will join me as we open the Bible together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. Paul is talking here about singleness. He's addressing some issues in the Corinthian church, all kinds of issues that are common to any kind of church that's new, that's getting going. There's issues of division, of false teaching. There's issues of how to worship, who should be in leadership. And here he gets into this section where he's talking a bit about uh, singleness and marriage. And there must have been some debate in the Corinthian church as to whether or not it was okay to be single. Now, something that you should know is that during this time period, uh, if you were single, you were considered um, kind of an outcast. The reason being is that the way that you preserved your legacy was through your children, which typically happened in marriage. And if you were single, you would not be able to preserve your legacy and your life would be less than worthwhile. So when Jesus came on the scene, a single, and preached the message that invited in people into this kingdom of God, the church family, it was radically different than anything that people were hearing. So there was some confusion about whether or not it was okay to be single. We skip down to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, and here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. In other words, you must be stressing about whether or not it's okay to be single or not. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, like how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I, I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What Paul is doing here is he's pointing out three benefits of being single. First of all, he says in verse 32 that if you are single, you can be relatively free from relational anxieties. The reason is because when you marry a person on August 21st, 1999, when I stood with my wife in the presence of family and friends and I made a commitment to her and to God, what I was saying is that I will be concerned for you as much or more than I'm even concerned for myself until one of us dies. When you are single, you are really before God only responsible for one person, and that is you. And so Paul celebrates this. Paul says, hey, being single keeps you from having anxiety of being responsible for uh, or caring for a spouse. He also says in verse 33 that you can be relatively free from worldly distractions, things that distract you from your devotion to the Lord. Now, you should know Paul is talking here to a group of Christians. And so if you're in here and you're not a Christ follower, you might think, well, this is weird. Why would I want to be devoted to the Lord? Well, Paul 
believe that the people that are reading this letter have recognized that their sin separates them from God, and they have heard that Jesus paid for their sin by dying on the cross. And also, when he was raised from the dead, through faith, we have the hope of new life in Christ. And so people heard that, received that, began to live in gratitude to God for what he did through Christ on the cross. And so when Paul says to them, hey, if you're single, you don't have to worry about another person. You get to live devoted to God without worldly distractions. It would have been significant. Verse 35, you also get to be open for worship and devotion and ministry. So Paul says these words, literally, skip the ceremony, give your devotion fully to the Lord. My question, as I read this, was Paul having a bad day? I mean, think about it. If you read this like I do, you think, wow, it shouldn't sound like he is getting down on the idea of marriage. And if you read the whole Bible, of course, you would know that that would be balanced with a very high value in marriage. And we'll talk about that next week when we do our unique message on marriage. But what Paul is communicating here that's important for us is singleness is a gift. It's not a bad thing. It is okay. You shouldn't feel less than worthy. You have an equal worth of those that are in your community that are married. It is okay. Look to your neighbor and say, it is okay. They don't believe you. Say it again. It is okay. So if you're, if you're single and you desire to remain single, there you go. As one person said, who's obviously single, I like being single. I'm always there when I need me. <laughs> or if that's not enough for you, maybe you remember the lines of the scholar, the theologian, the renowned artist, Beyonce. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. <laughs> Now put your hands up. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. So if you want to be single, awesome. God bless you. We love you. You're welcome here. We don't think of you as being any different than anybody else before God. But it has been my experience that most singles desire to be married. Some singles need to get married. And the Bible does not prohibit a person who is single from wanting to be married or from getting married. There's no rule either way. Look there again at verse 35. Paul says, I'm saying this for your benefit. In other words, I'm trying to release you from the stress that you're feeling about whether or not it's okay to be single or to be married. And some of you are like that. You're here and you're single and you're stressed. Should I get married? Should I not get married? And it's just like consuming you. What I would say to you is, Relax. It's okay. Paul says here, I'm not placing restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. Be married. Don't be married. It's okay. And what this reminds us of is that our attitudes as we think about our marriage currently or maybe a future marriage is that to be married or to not be married should not consume us shouldn't be overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being married. 
puts it in perspective for us. But for those of you that are here that desire to be married, I do want to help you think about this. Those of you that are single and desire to be married. Like I mentioned, I'm no longer single. August 21st, 1999 was the moment that I committed to no longer being a single man. And it may mean for some of you that are here, well, he doesn't know anything about what it's like to be single. Well, I think about it different. I've had 5,650 days to think about what it was like being single. 488,160,000 seconds to consider the uniqueness of being single. So I have some things for you. First of all, and over all of this, what I want you to understand, the greatest temptation in singleness is to assume that marriage will fulfill your deepest needs. Hear that. The greatest temptation in singleness is to assume that marriage will fulfill your deepest needs. A second great temptation is to believe that marriage will somehow help you to achieve your life's mission or make it easier. Now, I want you to understand marriage brings great joy, fulfillment, and help, but it will not meet your deepest needs or be easy in any way. Can I get an amen from the married people? Or oh me, amen or oh me, one of the two. I want you to understand the gospel that we preach here is that only Jesus Christ can meet your needs. In any circumstance, in any situation, in any scenario, your deepest needs can only be met by Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in John chapter 4. There's a story about a woman who met Jesus at a watering well in the middle of the day. It's an extraordinary story because Jesus meets her during the day when people do not typically get water because it's too hot. She draws water at this time of the day because people do not want to be around her or she was insecure about her life. So she would go to the water well during the middle of the day so that she could avoid being people uh, with whom she had a bad reputation. So Jesus is there. He knows he's going to meet her there. And she begins to draw water. And he begins to talk to her about her life. She doesn't know who he is. She might have even been stunned that this man would be talking to her. What Jesus knows about her is that she is thirsty. I don't mean just physically thirsty, but her deepest needs are not being met. Jesus tells the woman something about herself that he had no way of knowing if he were not divine, but he is divine. And so he knows that she has been married multiple times and she's now living with a man who's not her husband. This woman has deep needs that these relationships are failing to meet. So Jesus offers her water. Not the kind that will quench her physical thirst, but the kind of living water that will meet her deepest needs. The kind that comes from God Almighty. In John chapter 4, verse 13, we read these words. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Every person has a deep need. And God Almighty wants to meet that need through the person and work in a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Never, I plead with you to hear this, never will another person meet your deepest needs. For those of you that are married, that's for you too. If you believe that another person can meet your deepest needs, whenever it's not happening, you will begin to panic. And then what will happen is you'll run to one of two extremes. You will either become a perfectionist or you will become really, really needy. If you become a perfectionist, you will look for the perfect person. That's why some singles remain single is because they're looking for someone that's perfect. And let me tell you right now, they're not out there. They don't exist. You will always live with unmet expectations if you are looking to another person to meet your deepest needs. What you expect from them will never happen because they're not Jesus. You'll either become a perfectionist or you'll become really, really needy. And what happens when you're really needy is you, you give yourself too easily and too quickly to someone. One of two things will happen then. They will either run away because they'll be scared of you or they will take advantage of you. If you're a needy man, women will take care or take advantage of you financially, typically. You'll be their sugar daddy. They'll be a gold digger. If you don't know what those are, Google them. Okay. And, and they'll be left wanting because no item purchased with money can meet their deepest needs. If you're a needy woman, what I have observed is that men will take advantage of you sexually. And in our culture, do it. it you're given permission to do it. But you'll be left wanting. If you expect sex with another person to meet your deepest needs, no matter how many shades of gray he lets you try. There'll be more on that in the next couple weeks. So the gospel message is that Jesus meets our deepest need. And if you can't hear that or don't hear that, then the rest of my sermon is worthless for you. The gospel message is that your deepest need is met by God alone through Jesus Christ. Believe that. Receive that. And if you've lived in any other way as a perfectionist or somebody that's been overly needy, repent of it and say, God, I need you to meet my deepest needs. Will you always feel like he's doing it? No. And that's part of the transformation that has to happen over time. You'll always have a longing for a deeper experience of God meeting your deepest needs. But trust me, the Bible says that Jesus meets your deepest needs. So from there, what I'd like to do is give you six tips for singles who desire to be married. Six tips very quickly. First of all, we ought to, no, I'm not single. You ought to practice selflessness. 
Practice selflessness. Philippians chapter two, verses three and four says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. To be prepared for marriage, begin practicing selflessness now. A problem happens when a single who's incredibly selfish and caring only about themselves gets married, and then begins or continues to behave like that. That's a recipe for disaster and divorce. So begin practicing selflessness now. Think of ways to put others first. The first place you ought to think of ways to put others first is in, is in the church, of identifying needs in the lives of people in your faith community and then meeting those needs and helping serve people, putting them first. First thing, practice selflessness. Those of you that are marriage, that's an ongoing work, isn't it? Second thing, just a tip for you that are single who desire to be married. Get healthy. So I have four kids. One of them is a little girl. And she is eight years old, about to be nine. She's halfway through the number of years that I get to parent her as an adult to a child. I think about a day when some man will begin dating her around the age of 40. (laughs) And I think about the fact that there will be a moment where this man comes to me and says, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage and ask me permission? If that man is not within a reasonable amount, having taken care of himself financially, physically and emotionally, then there's no way in the world I'm gonna give my daughter to him. So for those of you that are single, what you ought to be thinking about, okay, how am I handling my own stuff financially? Because when you get married, you just take on another set of financial responsibilities. How am I taking care of myself financially? Am I in debt? Am I living beyond my means? Am I living at Papa's Steakhouse when I ought to be living at McDonald's financially? You know what I mean? How are you taking care of yourself physically? Are you taking care of yourself so that you can live a healthy life so that whenever you marry someone, they can enjoy your body just like you want to enjoy theirs? How are you caring for yourself emotionally? Do you have a lot of emotional baggage and a lot of emotional wounds? All of us have wounds. But have you done the work, maybe through counseling or hopefully discipleship, that will, is necessary for our emotional wounds and our emotional baggage to be refined and, and sanctified and, and dealt with, or at the very least so that we know what's there? Have you gotten healthy? Second thing, get healthy. Third thing, guard your heart. I see this so often. People that are single that want so bad to have a deep, close relationship too quickly give their hearts to someone else. And oftentimes what happens is they give themselves physically really quickly and it screws it all up. And it's all connected, I promise you. I, I, um, from time to time, use this illustration, which is super cheesy, but I, I, I talk about it like a deck of cards. So imagine my grandmother would be turning over in her grave if she knew I was holding a deck of cards in front of the church. 
She used to call them pages from the devil's Bible. Anyway, so, but she's not alive anymore. So, um, so I think about your life and your heart as representative of all of these cards. And so when you first meet somebody, you, you befriend them and you show them one card. Okay, we're friends. And this is the card I show to everybody I meet. The lady that uh, takes my order, you know, at the drive-thru, the person at the convenience store, you know, I'm, I'm friendly. Okay, they show my card. What happens is you get into some deeper relationships with people. And eventually, you meet somebody that you want to have a close relationship with and maybe even marry someday. And you begin to showing more cards. What happens is that we too quickly show all our cards to another person. And I think what you must understand and think about is like, okay, what am I going to show another person and when am I going to show it to them? And some of the cards that you show are connected to yourself sexually. And if you too quickly show those cards without at the same time having a commitment to them and their heart to you, things get screwed up. I'm telling you, this is the way that God designed it. So you ought to think to yourself, okay, I've got 52 cards and, um, you know, leading up to the point when I'm about to marry somebody, I'm going to show them 30 of them. And then the rest, they're going to have to make a commitment to me in marriage before I show the rest. And then over the course of your life, you get the joy of discovering things about one another. Jeannie and I are still learning about one another. We still talk about the way we feel and the way we think about things. We're still working through discovering one another. That's what is, defines a relationship. So guard your heart. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd really caution you because the scriptures do in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 of, of connecting your heart to someone that does not share your faith in Christ. Because what will happen is if you marry somebody who does not share your faith in Christ and you are truly a Christian, then you're either going to have to withdraw for fear that it would turn them away, or you begin to overwhelm them, and they say to you, hey, listen, I was not a Christian when we started. Don't try to force this stuff on me now. So to get your heart connected to a person that's a non-believer, non-Christian, creates issues. So guard your heart. Fourth thing, develop a comprehensive attraction. Men, I've heard, are attracted to looks, Women are attracted to money. I don't think that's always the case, fully each way. Some of you women care about how a man looks, and that's okay. And certainly men care about money also and recognize the need for it. But in our culture, in our society, typically those are the things that really work. If a man can find a woman that's good looking, and a woman can find a man to take care of her, then it's like, okay, we're we're together. What I'm saying to you is that if you want to experience the kind of marriage that God has for you, that you must begin looking at things like, oh, I don't know, character, personality, mission, commitment to Christ. And if you're only attracted to one thing about the other person and you begin to give yourself fully to them or you marry them, then what happens is you get married or give yourself fully to them with a very unrealistic view of what it means to have a healthy relationship. So develop a comprehensive attraction. Number five, just two more. As a single, I want to encourage you to enjoy your place within the church family. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is speaking, and he's looking at Peter, who is uh, one of his closest followers as he walked on the earth. And he says, upon Peter, I will build my church. And the word for church there is not ecclesia, it's oikos, which means house or household or family. And, and here's what this tells us. The church, this, is supposed to be like a family. This is supposed to be like a family. I want you to hear that. And so if you're single, then you're an important part of this family. And that's how I open my sermon. If you're married, you're an important part of this family. You ought to enjoy your place within this family. And in this family, singleness is not seen as an inferior state. We see God's sovereign plan being worked out in your life, whether or not you're single or married. Every person is invited into this church family through Christ. And in this church family, we care for one another. We help provide for one another. We care about a legacy that's something far more important than just what I will pass on through my children on this earth. But the legacy that we care about passing on as a family through our singles and our marrieds is a legacy that glorifies God because it's about the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in this church family, if you are a single, it is okay. Enjoy your place there. And if you are married, I want to really encourage you to to open up your eyes, look around, see the singles, and invite them into your home. In the New Testament, one of the most powerful things that was putting Christianity on display was when a person was hospitable, welcomed somebody into their home. And what I want to encourage you to do is to, to find the people in the church who are, this is weird, actually, let me back up here, because if you're single, you're like freaking out right now. You're like, well, you know, Actually, you might be able to get a free meal out of it, so, so go with it. Now, okay, so if you're single, I mean, if you're married, find somebody in the church um, that you, you think might, might be welcome to your, you know, welcoming them into your home. It's okay. We're a family together. Tim Keller, who's an author of a book that I'm reading as I'm doing this series, uh, says these words, single people within a strong Christian community, which we have, can experience much of the unique enrichment of cross-gender relationships within a family, particularly the sibling relationships between brothers and sisters. In the Christian faith, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So find your place and enjoy. Sixth thing, and I'll begin to close here. If you're single, what Paul is telling you you get to do, more than someone who is married, is you get to do something radical for God. You get to do something radical for God. So if you're here and you're single, whether or not you desire to be married or not, what I want to charge you with this morning in the name of Jesus Christ is to ask God, God, what do you want me to do that I could only do or more easily do in my singleness? Maybe it's take a mission trip to the other side of the world. We have a work in Africa. Right now, there are missionaries on the ground in the Horn of Africa that regularly email me and say, would you just send a team of two or three people to come and serve for a week or two and help us in this work of providing food and providing medical care? If you're single, that's more easy for you to do it. Do something radical for God. What is it that you could do in your singleness right now 
that you might not be able to do when you're married. There's a lot of things that I want to do that my first thought is, how is it going to affect my wife? How is it going to affect my four children? How is it going to affect the church that I pastor? Well, if you're single, you're freed up. Before God, you're not responsible for a spouse. Do something radical for God. Go for it. I pray that you'll take these tips as charges in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, I really believe, and I'm going to end here. I really believe that most people, especially singles, want to do something radical for God. And something I've thought a lot about is, well, why don't they? Why don't I see this more often? Well, I think it's because you don't see yourself as valuable in God's redemptive story as much as you ought to. You have incredible value. And you said, you don't, you don't know me, I've messed up, I've failed. Well, your value is not created by you, it's created by God through Jesus Christ. To illustrate that, what I have right here is, you see what this is? It's a $100 bill. I did not have this, I got it from Matt. Music guys make all the money. But I'm not giving it back to you, uh, Matt, if you're in here. So this is a $100 bill. It's got incredible value. You can buy like six barrels of oil with this, <laughs> 12 cups of coffee from Starbucks. This is incredibly valued. It's fairly crisp, right? Fairly crisp and new looking. What if I did this to it? I, I swatted it up and I stepped on it. And it got a little dirty and messed up. Does it have any less value? No, absolutely not. I want you to think about that picture when I'm telling you that you have incredible value and the enemy whispers into your head, well, I don't know, you're messed up, you're crumpled up, you've been thrown on the floor, you've been abused by someone, you've been made bad choices. I don't know if you have the same value. You have value. You know why? Because you did not create value for yourself. Your value was given to you when God created you in your mother's womb. You were made in the image of God. You were broken by sin and through Christ that's being restored. And so your value is not ultimately about you, your good deeds, your bad deeds, any of that. Your value is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. So what I want to say to you, single or married, do something radical for God, for his glory and for his fame. You have incredible value in God's story.